I was involved in Orthodox Judaism at a young age. I adopted it when I was about 13 or 14. And it really had a lot of meaning to me. I was in a really horrible neighborhood and had some terrible influences on me. And it really saved me from some darkness. Really saved me from some darkness. And um, I was very observant. Uh, I used to go to temple and eat kosher food and all that. And, my mother said I was 60 before I was 18, <laughs> like a little old man. And um, after a while, it kind of ran its course, and I wasn't inspired anymore, and I was doing things kind of out of rote and obligation. Doing things out of rote and obligation. And one day, there was a fast day, we weren't supposed to eat. And I was sitting alone at home one evening, and I was really hungry. Mm. And I didn't really know why I was fasting. Like, basic, the basic reason was that somebody told me to, and I was afraid I'd go to hell if I didn't do it properly. And this this realization gobsmacked me. I like that word, gobsmack, of the realization that um, doing a religious act out of fear was not a reason to do a religious act. And if I couldn't do it out of choice and joy and celebration, then it wasn't worth it. So I ate a piece of cake. Cake. <laughs> mm, and that was the end of Judaism for me. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 604. Alan Cohen, and A Course in Miracles Made Easy. Now, I met Alan earlier this year and was immediately attracted to his grounding nature, his easygoing sense of peace and optimism and encouragement. Alan is a best-selling author and speaker. He's published 27 books, including A Course in Miracles Made Easy, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. Other books include The Dragon Doesn't Live Here Anymore, the award-winning A Deep Breath of Life, and the classic, Are You As Happy As Your Dog? <laughs> Alan is a well-respected life coach with over 20 years of experience, which is how I've met him and how I've come to know him. And it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Alan onto the podcast today. So without any further ado, let's get right to it. So Alan, thank you for, for coming on and, and being my guest today. It feels, a little, it feels a little strange having you as my guest because I've been your guest uh, briefly on your radio show and you've been mentoring me for the last uh, however many months with your uh, coaching class. Um, but I, I, I really wanted to bring you on to, to the podcast and, and share who you are with my listeners. I'd like to talk a little bit about your book, uh, A Course in Miracles Made Easy. And um, you know, you've got this quote, and I've used this quote on the podcast before, that someone has said that religion is for people who are afraid of hell and spirituality is for people who have already been there. Yeah. And I know that's not your quote, yeah, but that yeah. it's one that you're, you're fond of. And they... Well, would you like me to riff on that particular quote for a moment? Sure. Sure. Uh, I was involved in Orthodox Judaism at a young age. I adopted it when I was about 13 or 14. And it really had a lot of meaning to me. I was in a really horrible neighborhood and had some terrible influences on me. And uh, it really saved me from some darkness. 
And um, I was very observant. Uh, I used to go to temple and eat kosher food and all that. And my mother said I was 60 before I was 18. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a little old man. And um, after a while, it kind of ran its course. And I wasn't inspired anymore. And I was doing things kind of out of rote and obligation. And one day there was a fast day, we weren't supposed to eat. And I was sitting alone at home one evening and I was really hungry. And I didn't really know why I was fasting. Like I, I, basically, the basic reason was that somebody told me to, yeah. and I was afraid I'd go to hell if I, did, if I didn't do it properly. And this, this realization gobsmacked me. I like that word, gobsmacked yeah. the realization that um, doing a religious act out of fear was not a reason to do a religious act. Mm. And if I couldn't do it out of choice and joy and celebration, then it wasn't worth it. So I ate a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of Judaism for me. I kind of, <laughs> um, it just catapulted me on a whole new path. It just, I won't go into it, but I explored all kinds of things. and met all kinds of teachers and had challenges and ecstasies and, you know, wonderful things I never would have had within the context of that religion, which I certainly still respect. But um, it was a turning point for me recognizing that if, if, I, if I couldn't live from a sense of integrity with myself, then it really wasn't worth it. And uh, it changed my life. It was one of the big turning points in my life. Uh, when you ate that, um, that piece of cake, <laughs> the, the the piece of cake that changed your world. Uh, how old were you? Um, nineteen, twenty, somewhere in there. Okay, all right. And and when when you um, and I I don't know what it was like for you walking away from the Judaism, but did did you have any anger about it? Had you felt that you had been constrained? You know, your mom saying that you were. Uh, 60 before you were 18 did you feel like you had missed out on on things um uh, not at the time um i really loved judaism and it really worked for me but i did feel like you know i think one of the reasons i left it was that i felt like i was missing out like all my friends were going to parties and senior prompt and having girlfriends and having sex and all that and i i wasn't and so uh i feel like my teenage years were kind of like um they weren't lost by any means, but I, I didn't grow up in the same way that other kids had. Yeah. I went back and had sex later. Yeah. Right. I, made, yeah. <laughs> I made up for it. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, I, I wasn't angry about it. Uh, I, I bear no ill will toward the religion. I, I, it's not for me in the way that it was, but it, it works for some yeah. people. It works for a lot of people. Well, and, and the reason I ask, um, I, I I know your your partner D now has some experience with Mormonism. She was she yeah. was raised Mormon and and yeah. is probably aware of the you know there, there's there's a lot of anger that yeah. that yeah. ex Mormons yeah. will feel and um I, I I found it interesting as you were coming to your I'm just going to eat cake realization mm -hmm. that it was based on this idea of fear. That I, I don't want to yeah. be practicing religion out of fear. Yeah. I want it to yeah. be uplifting. Um, so, so, so maybe we could explore that a little bit more in, with, yeah. with, the, with my listeners in mind who might be in a place of 
either fear or anger or you know they've come out of this religion of mormonism yeah yeah and they i i think a lot of people want to find meaning and value but aren't quite sure where where to trust aren't quite sure where to go um so anything that you could speak to from your experience there yeah well you know as you know i've become a student of a course in miracles yeah and of course, the miracle says that each of us has guidance from God. They call it the Holy Spirit. That's one name for it. Some people call it intuition, deep knowing. And, um, you know, at some point, we have to remove the umbilicus from external authority and find authority from within. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of tricky because we can, you know, we can talk ourselves into things that are not helpful. But, you know, I know, Glenn, that when I've had major choice points in my life, whether it's relationships, finance, health, career, uh, I, I have consulted a deep inner knowing that works. And I think somebody who has left or considering leaving Mormonism would definitely have to consider the possibility that the God that God will speak to them from their own heart, rather than being filtered through, through another person or some panel of quote experts that may or may not have anything to do with your life. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you communicate that idea to people who have rejected the notion of God? altogether and and they said god was one of those things that kept me trapped in that religion it was a it was a lie that that i'm not going to believe yeah. anymore well you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Um, you know all religions started out with some form of divine inspiration um unfortunately in many religions it gets watered down and diluted and polluted with guilt and fear and and human um you know, I think Voltaire said that uh, God created us in him, his image and likeness, and then we return the compliment. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, so we make up all kinds of stories about God that reflect human frailty, not divine reality. And so, um, you know, I think a mature spiritual person uses discernment to to separate that which is true within a religion or without a religion from that which is not and you know i'm not hung up on people calling god god i don't think god cares that much you can call it love you can call it life you can call it life force the you know the Tao. um you know there are many many different names for that force that we in the west call god and i agree unfortunately you know the word god has been sullied by people who have projected vengeance and wrath onto God when it just doesn't exist. So, you know, if it's too much of a stretch to call God, God, fine. You know, call him Frank or Susan or whatever it is. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's an energy. It's a life force. It's a love. And, you know, names are human. God, God is truly nameless. You know, when Moses asked God, what's your name? He said, I am. And that's kind of the closest we can get to naming God, really. Yeah. I, I, I want to read this to you. It's funny. I, I I put out a survey for the podcast a couple of years ago, and and people don't really go to the website and fill out the survey much anymore. But every once in a while, a listener will will find it and they'll fill it out. And so this this came to me this morning, and there's this question that says, "What do you like about the podcast, mm -hmm. uh, etc." And the answer is, "I liked everything, 
until Glenn went full woo. Listening to unscientific <laughs> BS is like grading fingernails on a chalkboard. If I wanted that, I would go back to church. And yet, in the question before, he gave me four out of five stars for good. So it's, <laughs> so it's not that bad. But so, so I'm, I'm always very sensitive of this um, accusation of woo. Anytime I get into this uh, idea of talking about God or spirituality, and, and I think probably what they were referring to is I, I did a two-part series um, where I reviewed Joe Dispenza's recent I don't know if you've seen this. He he did a, a TV series on Gaia called Rewired, and he's talking about wow. the brain and the impact that <clears throat> thoughts have. Wow. And wow. yeah, I just I don't understand when people um, think that that's woo. You know, <laughs> he's pretty scientific. He's a doctor, right. and you know, he's he's far to the left as far as far to the right as far as I can tell. Yeah. You know, he's he's very conservative. So I don't know why somebody would call him woo, but. Yeah. You know, we all make up stories about what we want to believe, and that's fine. Sure. Too. <laughs> so what, what, are, what are your thoughts on thoughts and the impact that our thoughts, our internal world, our thoughts have on, on our reality? Well, thoughts are very creative. Uh, of course, the miracle says there's no such thing as an idle thought. And it says that that which gives rise to an entire world can hardly be called idle. So thoughts are powerful. I mean, uh, I used to know this healer, and he said that we all we walk in the atmosphere of our own believing. Mm -hmm. And you know, people people in the New Age movement they say you create your reality. Well, that's a half truth. Realities have already been created very nicely. Thank you very much. Yeah. And it is what it is. But we do create our experience of reality. So you can make up a story about what is and what isn't, and then you live in your story. And you bear the fruits of that story for better or worse. Yeah. So we, you know, we have to be. Uh, someone said that a course of miracles is really about mind training. Yeah, it's about lining our thoughts up with that which works instead of that which doesn't. So you know, we every, eventually we have to face our thoughts. You cannot get around it. Our thoughts are powerful. They they can kill and they can cure. Yeah, yeah. I I came across and it was it was maybe a year or two ago. Um, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy and, and a book called mm -hmm. Feeling Good by Dr. David Burns. Maybe you're familiar with it. It's been around for a long time. And when I started listening to the Abraham Hicks uh, recordings earlier this year, um, I, I recognized even though she was presenting these ideas in a very different way, you know, like channeling, channeled information from pure positive energy, mm -hmm. the message was so consistent with what I was hearing from uh, Feeling Good by Dr. David Burns. A and when she would talk about things like the law of attraction, and she would describe or define what she meant by law of attraction, it just became so clear to me that it was, it, it was identical to confirmation bias. And, and, you know, that once you make up your mind that something yeah. is a certain way, you're going to get confirmation of that bias that you're holding all over the place. You're going to be yeah. blind to the things that disconfirm that. Um, and I, so I don't know, I, 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 I like the woo when, when people you know, accuse me of going into the woo. I think it's really interesting because all of it is an, is an expression of different ways that people view the world and how they want to express themselves. In yeah. it. And I, anyway, I just find it really, really interesting, really valuable. And when you can compare those things and see the similarities, uh, it makes it even stronger for me.
Well, you know, truth, you know, truth is, comes through many different channels. Uh, Ram Dass used to say that it's as if God is writing with different colored magic markers. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, um, you know, the Course in Miracles came through a woman who was a, a psychotherapist. And so the language is very psychological, but if she was a musician, it would have been musical. Yeah. And she spoke French, it would have come through in French. Right. So, you know, the, and I do remember some things from Judaism. And uh, there was one phrase, Dibre Torah Belushin B'nai Adam, which means that the Torah, the Bible, speaks in the language of people. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's pretty clever that spirit sends prophets and teachers and healers who speak all kinds of different languages and different terms to reach people who are familiar and comfortable with those languages. And it's, it's all set up so that there's healing available within each community. So yeah. it's a pretty, pretty clever system when you think about it. Yeah. And, and uh, unavoidable that I, I like to think of God now as source energy. I, I think that's, that's yeah, been what, yeah. what <clears throat> the moniker that I've settled on and feel yeah. most comfortable with. And, and I think of it as the, the energy that is behind the subatomic energy, the atoms, the molecules, yeah. the cells and everything. And, and if, if I think about it that way, then the way that that energy is expressing myself is pretty much anything that's coming up through the way that I think, through the way that I express yeah, myself. Yeah, and it's all being, yeah. and it's the same for you, it's the same for everybody. Everybody has this, this connection to that source energy, whatever it is. Um, and so yeah, it makes sense that it would come up in different languages and cultures yeah. and people's different experiences. I wouldn't expect it to all look the same as it's being filtered through all of these different. How boring uh, it would be. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not just that we're connected to source energy, we're extensions of yes, it. Yes, right. You know, connection kind of implies that we're here and source energy is there and there's this little sort of tether between us. But really, um, I, I like to think of it that, you know, if God is the sun or source is the sun, we are rays of the sun. Yeah. And the rays of the sun contain all the attributes of the sun. Each ray is not the whole sun, yeah. S-U-N, but um, each ray contains all the elements of the sun. So it is one with the sun. That's how I like to think of us as being extensions of source. Yeah, and the, and the first thing I thought of when you brought up that metaphor were, were the the plants that photosynthesize the the sun and they bring it into themselves to grow and yeah. you know, like that's an extension yeah. that's being sourced by the sun too and yeah yeah um all right so you've, you've mentioned the course in miracles a couple of times you started talking about the author of it that she was a psychotherapist um could you give a little bit of of, of background of what it is and then how you first were introduced to it yeah it's an amazing uh, story uh, in brief this woman uh, helen shuckman uh, was a psychology professor at Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons. And she was not getting along with her supervisor, Bill Fitford. But uh, she was an interesting person because even though she was a Jewish by culture, uh, atheist by philosophy, a cynical, hard-boiled personality, she also had this very, very soft and... Um, devotional side plus she was terrifically psychic believe it or not yeah. she had a lot of psychic experiences and one uh, one day her, her bill came to her and said there must be a better way helen and she said yes and because uh, they weren't getting along 
And a few weeks later, this voice came to her and said, this is a course of miracles, please take notes. Now, she regularly therapized people who heard voices. Right. And not only did the voice tell her to take notes, it said, this is Jesus Christ, uh -huh. which was, you know, double indemnity as a psychotherapist. And so she was scared bleepless to do anything <laughs> with this. And she went to Bill and said, Bill, this voice is coming to me saying, this is a course of miracle, please take notes, what should I do? And he said, well, why don't you take notes? And so she started taking this dictation, whatever she heard, and she brought it to him. He said, this is fantastic. Well, I want to work with you on this. So she would take shorthand every night at home, and then they would go into his office every morning and close the shade, and he would type. He was a typist. So this went on for seven years until he had this very thick manuscript called The Course in Miracles. And it's basically a, some call it spiritual psychotherapy, some call it mind training. Uh, it's almost like Zen in some way. Buddha, it's, not, it's written in Christian language, but it's really universal. And it basically is a system of a mind training that takes us by the hand and leads us from fear to love. And it talks a lot, a lot about forgiveness. It says that every moment is a choice between love and fear. Fear never works and love always works. And in a very gentle way, over 365 days is one lesson per day for a year. It, it basically turns your mind inside out and helps you recognize that what we've been taught about how life works is pretty much not it. And it substitutes our spiritual identity for our body identity. It substitutes uplifted relationships for painful relationships. So it's, it's, it's very profound, it's very deep, it takes a lot of commitment. But um, I've been with it for, God bless me, almost 40 years. I'm not really that old, but hmm. that's how long you've been with it. And um, I've never seen anything quite like it. It doesn't deny any religion. There's people from many religions who participate in it, but it's very, um, it's soothing, it's healing, it's illuminating, and it makes life work. That's, that's my, my experience. Yeah. And now I have two of your audiobooks. I have the Down Made Easy and A Course in Miracles Made Easy. And I, I love both of them. But a, a Course in Miracles Made Easy, you know, I, I I listened to it at a time where I was going through a lot of like really challenge challenge. And th there were times I would fall asleep listening to it. And it was great because I'd wake up in the middle and like something would catch my attention. I'm like, whoa. And, cool. and and I think one of the first things that really caught my attention that way about it was maybe it's chapter seven, but it's when it's special love versus holy love. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. boy, that just the, the idea and the definition of what special love is versus holy love was so powerful yeah. to me. Could, could you talk about that a bit? Yeah, it's one of the key components of the Course, of course. And the Course also says that the fastest road to healing is through relationships. Mm. Um, it says, you know, you've been taught many avenues and they all work, but if you really want to change your life, start addressing your relationships and heal them, and, which is challenging for a lot of us because a lot of us have relationships that are out of whack. And it says that We, see, we tend to see ourselves as empty or broken or needy. And then we go searching for a person or thing or money or job or place to live that's going to fill us in and make us whole. And it says in the moment we go searching, we have divested ourselves of our true power because we're already whole. 
And anytime you attempt to import something that will make you whole, it never works because you're already whole. So it really urges us in all of our relationships with people, money, things, to come from sense of enoughness, come from wholeness. And that's what it calls a holy relationship, mm -hmm. where you're not looking to get and to be fixed and to be filled. And when you proceed from wholeness, everything works in a way that it never worked. When you're looking for somebody special, I know it's kind of almost sacrilege to say, well, you shouldn't search for somebody special. Well, you can search for a partner. It's all wonderful. Partners are wonderful. But if you're looking for a partner to make you something that you're not, you've sabotaged your relationship before it begins. And a lot of our journey of relationship is shifting from specialness to holiness. Certainly mine is. I, and I'm, I'm a I'm an expert on special relationships. I had a thousand of them, yeah. so you know, so I, I'm, I'm qualified to talk about. Yeah. It. So what what are uh, you know when I when I think about this idea of having a sense of brokenness, having a sense of of innate unworthiness, you know, we we have the the story of original sin that everyone you know, in, in, in Christian traditions and, and Mormonism has this as well, this idea that um, God formed life on this earth in perfection, but then sin is what was introduced uh, that, that promulgated life, you know, through Eve's Eve oh, sin in yeah. the garden of Eden and all of that. So, so yeah. people really have this sense coming in that they're not worthy um, that there's things that there are conditions that are placed on yeah. worthiness. And yeah. it, it, it's one of the things that when I was working my way out of the Mormon church, there were teachings that were consistent with this idea of being worthy and holy already. And then these things that were kind of inconsistent that just didn't really make sense to me. Um, but, but I think a, a lot of people have this, this sense really, really deep in, in the subconscious that yeah. they're not, they're, they're not enough. They're not enough. They've got to do something before they're enough, before yeah. it's okay. Yeah. What, what, what has your experience been with that? Well, that's all learned. You know, children are born pure and innocent and you're, you're a father, you have lovely children and you love your kids. I don't have human children, but we have five dogs and yeah. they're certainly like our kids. And I think people love to be around children and, and pets because they're so innocent and they're honest, and they're naked, and they're not ashamed, and they're not guilty. And they remind us of who we were before we were trained to believe that we're guilty or lacking in some way. And, and the good news is that we still are that. It's just that it's been covered over with a lot of BS that, that distracts us from, from our true nature. So, you know, I would substitute original sin with original error, where, um, you know, uh, a famous yogi said, we started out fine, and then we got defined. Defined. <laughs> so now we're getting refined. refined. <laughs> so, you know, at a young age, we were given definitions. Boys do this and girls do that. Good Mormons do that and bad Mormons do that. On and, on. and we just were loaded up with, uh, you know, Jesus said, don't put a bushel over the, uh, uh, the light. Don't put a basket over the light. And so... Um, you know, the spiritual path is really about removing the, the light is there. The light has always been there. The light can never not be there. The light will never go away. It's who we are. But we have succeeded in covering that light with a basket. And the spiritual path is really about removing that basket from the light so we can be who we, can be who we were before we were trained to the contrary. So 
that 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 sounds to me like li- living a life that's free of judgment. Yeah, is that is that possible? It is. I, you know, I know I know people who claim to have gotten there. I haven't. I still have judgments, but less and less as I go along. But um, you know, judgment is when the the human mind, the intellect comes in and sort of preempts our divine knowingness and squeezes us into small boxes and labels. And that's where we get all screwed up. Um, You know, uh, someone wrote a book called Love It, Don't Label It. And, you know, labels, I think Mark Twain said, uh, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. And so we start counting and comparing, then we get all, eh, I'm not as good as him and I'm better than him. And that's what really tweaks us and whacks us to the side. So, you know, the the question of miracles does seek to lift us beyond judgment. And one of its lessons is today, I will just let all things be exactly as they are. And judgment means you should be different. I should be different. The world should be different. Politics should be different. That tree should be different. And not that we can't see positive change, which is always helpful, but this idea that there's something really wrong, we better fix it, otherwise we're going to be in big trouble. That's a form of judgment. Yeah. And, and brought down to interpersonal relationships, you know, how many people try to fix each other in a marriage, which is really the source of, they say that a man, a woman marries a man with the expectation will change, and a man marries a woman with the expectation she'll never change. <laughs> And herein is a source of all problems in marriage. And I think it's pretty true, actually. That's funny. <laughs> when I got interested in that book, Feeling Good by Dr. David Burns, um, he, he, he lists several cognitive distortions. And, and one of those cognitive distortions is black and white thinking. Um, another one is um, putting things into should statements, mm-hmm. um, discounting the positive, catastrophizing, all of these kinds of things. And I, I think that the the way that our brains automatically, especially the older we get, have been conditioned to make these comparisons, to make these judgments, yeah. and then to feel the lack that we don't measure up to, to something, it really does bring um, a, a lot of dis- despair. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and so going, going back to what The Course in Miracles says about the special relationship versus the holy relationship, I, th- I think the thing that was really that really jumped out to me was that if, if you are expecting someone else to complete something in you, you're, you're kind of sabotaging yourself right from the beginning. Exactly. And what, and, exactly. and as yeah. it becomes more and more clear that they can't complete you, they can't do this, then there's the resentment that builds up and that these special love relationships often turn very um, acrimonious. Um, dark just yeah dark and um just just angry whereas a a holy relationship if you have two people who recognize that they aren't broken they're not going to fix each other they accept and this is where i kind of get tripped up with this alan that we accept ourselves even in our flaws i'm acknowledging that there are flaws but then that kind of goes against the idea that we're whole and that we're complete um so help me help me out with this one. Well, there's a good it's a good question, isn't it? Um, you know, on the level of personality and human interaction, there are flaws. I have flaws. You have flaws. Everybody has personality quirks and weirdnesses, and you know, sometimes decriticizes me. My partner because I'll 
I'll have like a small glass of soy milk and I'll just put half of it back in the refrigerator. She said, why don't you throw it out? I want to save it. So I have my little quirks, right? We all do. So it's just part of human nature to have stuff going on. Um, but I think the idea is that even behind our personality quirks and judgments and deficits, we are whole. That the uh, Course makes a big distinction between the body and the spirit. It says that you, you get into trouble because you believe you are a body only. Mm. And you identify with a body, and whatever's going on with the body you think is going on with you. And it's true only to a certain extent, because far below the body, we have a spiritual nature that transcends anything and everything that could happen with the body. And so, you know, this is how a healer heals. A healer sees the perfection in somebody and holds firmly to that, even in the face of human flaws that may be happening simultaneously. So, you know, our spiritual empowerment lies in dropping into the place inside us that is whole, even in spite of what happens to be going on in the personality of the moment, um, even in spite of appearances, even in spite of the appearance of illness, you know, there's wholeness and wellness yeah. happening simultaneously. And that's, you know, some people might think that's woo, but if you don't like the woo, you can stay in the poo. Really, <laughs> you're really pretty much at every moment choosing between the two. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that nice bumper sticker moment there. Um, when, when, when I hear you talk about the, the spirituality that's, that's a, a deep part of our, our being, I, I, I thought about the way that our, our, our body. And if I do focus just on the body, I think I can still get to the spirituality element, element of it, that the, the body that we have now isn't the same body that we had 10 years ago. The, the cells that we have aren't the same cells. I've got cells that are dying all the time and that are being, you know, replaced um, all of the time. And that process is happening regardless of anything that I'm thinking about or doing. And so that's, that's kind of where I focus on to think things are perfect. Things are whole. It's an abundant universe. I'm, I'm getting replicated all of the time. Um, do I get sickness? Do I get disease? Yes. Do I think that that's something that is unnatural? <laughs> no, it's part of nature. I mean, we, we, we all age, we all, uh, you know, get to that point where we die, we deteriorate, but, but our bodies constantly being, replaced and re regenerated and there is something that's doing that that's bigger than than we are and that, that that's where we can put and I, I'm saying we I really should say I that that's where I put my trust in those times where mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to come next yeah and yeah. it takes it takes the fear away it lets me focus on this thing this abundance that I really can be truly grateful for and, and I, I think that that is, and I haven't read A Course in Miracles. I've only read your A Course in Miracles made easy. I, I keep saying, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to get the course out and Cammie and I, we're going to start going through it every day. You know, we're going <laughs> to, we, we do want to do that. But, but my understanding is the Course in Miracles defines a miracle as a change in perspective. And, and the biggest change in perspective I've had as I've been contemplating it is the the value that gratitude has mm. the finding gratitude for for every mm. single moment and that's where i find it 
when I'm contemplating what spirituality is and things that are yeah. completely outside of my ability to really know. Well, that's beautifully stated, Glenn. Uh, you know, and the truth is that there is a healing power that goes far beyond human control. Mm -hmm. You know, if you cut your finger, you, you don't know how to heal that. Yeah. <laughs> you can cooperate it by putting it with a band-aid on, band on, but there's, there's this thing called life force. And you know, every culture has a name for it. Chi, ki, mana, prana. Uh, you know, all the, all the cultures say that there is something that heals, and that's far beyond, you know, human understanding. And that some people call it God, but it doesn't matter. And um, let me just, I want to capture the last thing you said. Oh, you know, it, the Course says that there's really no two belief systems, love and fear. And when you're in fear, everything is dark. And when you're in love, everything is light. And so you dropping into gratitude is a clear demonstration that when you shift from fear to love and gratitude is an expression of love, then everything changes. You're like putting on a whole, whole different lenses that give you access to an entirely different universe than you saw when you were stuck in fear. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's why we, you know, if you're gonna take your thoughts and use them, we have to keep pushing ourselves back to the universe of love because it's the only one that really works. Yeah. What, what, would, the, what would the course say um, if, if I suggested that really there is only love and that fear is just love wearing a mask? That fear, mm. fear is just love in disguise. Mm. Yeah, it's something like that. It's, it's, you know, we might call fear a shadow. Uh, you know, I love that from the psalm, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And it doesn't say that I walk through the valley of death, it says I walk through the shadow of death, which means that if you block the light with, um, with an erroneous thought, it casts a shadow that does not allow you to see the light in that portion that is blocked. But it, you know, just because a cloud comes doesn't mean the sun has disappeared. Yeah. It's just mean a cloud had covered the sun. Right. So, you know, all we can say about fear is that's the moment, it's the illusion of the absence of love yes, yeah. for a moment. Yeah. But it it's, doesn't mean that love is absent. It just means for at that moment, you're not aware that love is present. Yeah. Which, which it is everywhere at all times, even when it doesn't look like right. it. Right. And I, I, I like how the Course says that things are either an expression of love or a call for love. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and this, this image of the, the, the shadow that blocks out the light, um, creating the illusion that there's no light when that light is actually always there. That's really hard to see when, yeah. when, yeah. when, when you've trained yourself at like, like I yeah. have to be worried about what's going to happen in the future yeah. if I don't do X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Or to interpret the things that happened to me in the past and go, oh, well, that was bad. That was horrible. Yeah. Um, it's all interpretation. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, lesson two of the course is that ev everything I see has only the meaning I've given to it. So at every moment we're projecting meaning onto a neutral universe. And then we get to live in the universe that, you know, is supplied by the meaning we've given it. Yeah. So... This is why we have to always strive to interpret in our favor rather than interpret against ourselves. And you talked about, you know, the judgment you had and trying to prove yourself. Although that's, that's all negative interpretation of self, which is never true. It, the Course says that you are as beautiful and innocent and holy and perfect as you ever were. 
and nothing, you know, I love that phrase, speaking of bumper stickers, God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm. <laughs> you know, that, that the universe is constantly supporting us. We can fight against it and make up stories about it, but we're always supported, we're always loved, we're always in the presence of love, no matter what's going on in the, in the world of appearances. And that's a really crucial word in the Course, that it's only appearances that deceive us, never true. Mm. All right. So in the, in the time we have remaining, um, I'd like to talk about what, what you do as a, as a life coach, uh, how long you've been uh -huh. doing that. Um, what is it? <laughs> well, I, you know, I was trained in uh, human relations training and interpersonal communications. And I did mostly group work for many, 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 many years. And I discovered that as I was working with people within the group, very often we'd just single somebody out and I'd deal with them directly for a while, that those moments of working intensely with somebody and going deep, those are the most powerful moments of the whole program. And then people started using this word coaching. Well, I guess that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm coaching people to become more of who they are. Mm. I'm not telling them what to do. I'm helping them. I'm drawing forth the best in them. So about 10 years ago, I thought, well, just for fun, let me start a coach training because that's what I was doing. I had a dozen people show up and, and I was appalled by several things, Glenn. One was that the healing and awakening that those people experienced while they were learning to coach, coach other people was phenomenal. <laughs> so in becoming a coach, they got coached, yeah. so to speak. And the healing energy that came through them to other people ended up healing them as well. Yeah. So I thought, this is pretty cool. And the other piece is that they bonded and fell in love with each other and sort of formed a spiritual family that carried on for many, many years. So I've done this for 10 years now, and uh, we've trained probably 500 people. And basically, we call it holistic life coach training. And basically, we're training people to work with other people who are looking for help either to solve a problem or to attain a goal. And one of the key aspects of the program, as you know, if you've been in it for a while now, is that we define the client as wise. Yeah. And the coach is not a therapist or an authority figure or a guru or a savior or a psychic. The coach is basically somebody who is drawing forth the inner greatness of the client that's already there and helping the client to find solutions from their own uh, toolkit rather than leaning on the coach to tell them what to do. Yeah. And uh, we've had phenomenal success. Uh, the client's reports and the coach's reports are just stunning. Um, I was reading one the other night and this, this, this lady who was a client said, you know, I've had 50 coaching sessions, but this is the first one that really worked. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe it's because my coaches honor the wisdom and divinity of the client and recognize that God speaks to clients directly instead of needing to go through the coach. Yeah. And so it's, it's, and then it frees the coach of having to be an answer person, which is very liberating too. So it's just a, a nutshell of what we do. And it's, um, it's so rewarding to see lives changing before my very eyes, the coaches and the clients. I, I never get tired of it. It's, it's, it's all, it's the only, it keeps getting better and better. Yeah. Can, can you talk about this healing process? So you mentioned that, that as your coaches are learning how to coach, they, they are healing as there is healing that's going on with their clients as well. What, what does this healing look like what, and what's being healed? Well, you said it yourself earlier. You said that a miracle is a shift in perception mm -hmm. and it's basically a shift from fear to love. 
So as a coach works with the client to help them shift their perception, the coach has to shift into higher perception him or herself, him or herself as well. You, you have to raise to a new consciousness to have a result. Einstein said you cannot solve a problem at the same level of mind that created it. Mm. You know, you're aware of that. And so the coach and client are both rising to a higher mind that sees the problem from expanded perspective where you start to see solutions you cannot see when you're in the muck, so to speak, of the problem itself. And so it's really, you know, healing is a state of consciousness you step into. It's, it's, a, it's a mindset. Mm. Um, there's, uh, you know, I quote the Bible, not, not from a religious standpoint, but I think there's great metaphysics in it. Uh, I think Peter came to Jesus with certain doubts. And Jesus said to him, Peter, he says, you're thinking as a man thinks, not as God thinks. So when we think as people think, we get mucked up. Uh, but as we think as God thinks, which is expansive, it's unlimited, it's, it's, it's pure love, it's unconditional, it's, 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 it's magnificence. So as we raise our mind into that consciousness, so then we see things we never would have seen from a fear base. Yeah. And that's what a coach does with a client. So they both get lifted and both walk away happy. Yeah, I, you know, when, when I started um, learning the, the, the techniques that you teach, the, they're, they're pretty simple. They sound pretty simple. They sound pretty simple. You, you, you listen, you actively listen, you restate so that the client knows, you know, mm -hmm. that, that you're hearing and make sure that you get it. You know, you, you validate them, you reframe it. And, and I, I, when I first got it, I'm like, is that it? Really? That's, that's what this, that's what this is. But in practicing it, ow, it's so powerful. And sometimes it can be really tedious to go, Oh, I'm going to restate what somebody says before I just rush in and say, well, here's what I think about it. And then, and then the more I do that, the, the more distance I put between even saying what I think about it and like being really interested in what they think about what they're hearing back about what they're saying. It's amazing yeah. to watch. It's amazing yeah. to experience that. Um, so I just, I just, I've, I've loved that. Um, and in the, the, I I've had the privilege and it really, really is a privilege to, to talk with many of the, the listeners of this podcast that, you know, they've been listening to me for whoever, you know, who knows how long they've been listening to me, but to, to really have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and for me to get to know who they are, what their challenges are, what their issues are. And, and when they look to me to say, well, what can you do? Like I'm working with one guy right now who wants to be more spiritual in his life. He says, mm -hmm. I think you've got something that you can help me with. And I, I go, well, I think that you've got something yeah, <laughs> that, right that's, <laughs> that's bringing you here. Let's find out what that yeah. is. And I, right. you know, like, I appreciate that you see this in me, but let's bring it out in you. And it's, it's been, it's been really um, yeah. Yeah, just, 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 just wonderful. It's holy. Yeah. I think one of the keys is, you know, it's simple kindness and caring and love. So I come to you as a client and maybe nobody else in my life is, list, life is listening to me. My husband or wife doesn't pay attention to what I'm saying, really, and they do what they want to do. And my boss doesn't honor me and my kids are doing their own thing. And I feel unheard. And so I come to you and you, you actually listen to yeah. me and you demonstrate to me that you heard what I said. And you make me important by listening and you validate me by recognizing my struggles and my strengths. And it's like, wow, I don't get this any place else in my life. Let me, let me talk to this guy and let me, let me feel worthy. Yeah. 
this man actually thinks I'm a worthy person. Wow, I want to I want to talk to him. And of course, in that presence of kindness and caring, healing happens naturally yeah. because truly, love is the great healer. Everything else is commentary. Yeah, and and I I think especially if you're coming out of a place where you don't feel innately worthy, and then you yeah. start to go, oh, maybe I am worthy. That that's part of that healing, that yeah. that that happens, kind of un unconditioning some of that conditioning that we talked about earlier. Well, I know you deal with people in the Mormon community and God bless Mormonism. There's a lot of great things about it, but like all religions, there's a lot of guilt and, and shame and unworthiness that's imposed upon folks. Yeah. And that's debilitating. That's damaging. And so if you've been invalidated for many years by a religion or a family or community, and you show up to a coach who actually sees the good in you, whoa how healing is that yeah. and so simple validation of the that of the inherent worth of a human being regardless of their actions regardless of their religion that is transformational that's what's going to save the world not not running off to a mountaintop to be saved because you're one of the 144,000 who have said everybody else is going to hell right. sitting in the presence of another person who really respects you that's that's holy yeah all right, in, in the little time we have left, I, I want I want to play a little game with you. Maybe you, you mentioned Peter coming to Jesus with doubt, and that reminded me of uh, the, the story of of um, when when Jesus walks on the water, one of the miracles. And I, I recently heard a song that was singing about that, and I had this thought about what that story means to me. Of course, it's being interpreted through my academic background as a folklorist and all of these things. But I, I, I went, I was really excited by the way that I interpreted the story. And I went to see if I could find anybody else who had ever interpreted this way and I couldn't find it. So I want to explain it to you, Alan, and see if, if, yeah, if you heard this hear. before. Um, well, let's hear, uh, try me. Because, because that whole Voltaire quote that you came up with earlier, I, yeah. I came up with that on my own too, before I ever heard about Voltaire, about how we oh, create cool. God in our right. So you tuned in. So I'm tuned in or whatever I am. So, um, so, so you've got this story where there are disciples that are on a boat that are on the Sea of Galilee. Um, things are calm, and then they're not. There's this storm, and they get terrified that the boat's going to capsize in this storm. And they look out, and and they see Jesus walking on the water towards them. And, and I think if I remember it right, as soon as they see him, the calm storms, or he raises his hands in the calm storms, uh, or the storm calms. And... Uh, as he's walking towards them, I, I think there's four different versions of this story in, in the New Testament. And at least in one of them, maybe it's in two, Peter says, can I join you out on, on the water? He says, sure, come out. And, and Peter starts walking on the water too. But then he gets afraid and filled with doubt and he starts to, to drown and Jesus reaches out and he, um, and he saves him. But then he kind of rebukes him a little bit. Oh, you have little faith. Um, and there was something about him coming onto the ship as well. Anyway, so the, so the way that I thought about this story as, as a metaphor or an allegory, going back to this idea of source energy that is the energy behind all of the atoms, molecules, everything that exists, that God in that story isn't just represented by Jesus, who is the personification of God, but God is also the ship. God is also the people that are doubting. God is also the storm that is raging. And the, the, the real lesson is that when you understand and accept that all of this around you is God, 
that it calms the storm. It's, it soothes the storm. But if you get out on the water and you start thinking that, oh, I am going to be the all-powerful, mighty God, then you recognize, well, that's not really, you're not really that, and you get filled with, with doubt and fear, mm. and, you, mm. and you start to sink. So there's the kind of like this happy medium on accepting being in the presence of God around us and not having fear and otherwise. Have you ever heard that interpretation well, that before? Works. Haven't heard it, but okay. it works. <laughs> it's a good one. All right. Maybe Voltaire said it at some point. It just never gotten written down. It's possible. <laughs> it works. Yeah. No, you, well, you, you can write the next testament. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I might. There, you know, there are a lot of testaments. I think there's something like 70 or 80 of them. I just got a few of them got picked. Yeah. So, you know, we're all, we're, we're all choosing the testament we're living in at a moment. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> in a given moment, yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, if, if uh, any of my listeners are interested in in hearing you, I know you do a weekly radio show. Um, you've got a website. You you do the the training for coaches. Where can they find you if if they uh, want to go get to my website? AlanCohen.com. A L A N C O H E N.com. AlanCohen.com, and all the stuff you mentioned is available right there. Okay. And are you doing a weekly radio show as well that they could listen to? Yeah, uh, actually, we're just moving to a new station. Uh, if people go online and look up Uni Unity Radio Online, uh, they'll find my, as of January 2020, I'll be doing a new, a new, Great. new show there. All right. And, you know, before we close, Glenn, I want to really honor you for the work that you're doing. You're really, you know, you're really a bridge. And you, my teacher used to say that people who trample down a certain path in the weeds, you know, make the path clear and available to other people. So you've gone through your uh, uh, crisis of faith and your dark night of the soul, you might say, regarding Mormonism. And I really respect you for uh, coming into your own integrity and being honest about what works and choosing your own life instead of the life that others would choose for you. And I, I do respect Mormonism, but I also respect you for... Uh, stepping out of it and claiming a higher path for mm. yourself and you're really helping a lot of people who are walking that path and you know i just want to encourage your listeners to be in integrity with yourself and my definition of integrity is that the life that you're living on the outside matches who you are on the inside and so i, I also want to encourage our listeners to just you know drop into your heart and ask what do you really believe and what is really true for you. And if you were living from joy and celebration and honesty and integrity and creativity, what would that life look like? Independent of the life that others have told you you're supposed to live, independent of the life you've lived, you know, what would a life of true, you, authentic be? And uh, there you have your path. That's, that's the path that's been illumined for you. I, I would trust that. I would, I would just deeply trust that. Yeah. Well, th thank you for that, Alan. I, as you were saying that, it reminded me of the documentary that you're a part of, Finding Joe, that yeah. um, talks about Joseph Campbell and the power of, of myth. And I don't know if it was you that w it was one of the other contributors that was talking about um, walking the path into the forest yeah. and that you actually uh, that on on the hero's journey you don't you don't walk on the path that is that other people have walked on before you you yeah. forage your own yeah. and i think that is yeah. part of that integrity part of that and, but it's it's also yeah. part of the fear of going into the unknown yeah. and and not being sure yeah. am i going to be okay am i going to come out of this on the other side and um really the power that comes when you when you take that leap of faith and then you see 
What, what have you created for yourself? And you know, fear prescribes a circle around us. Yeah. And it says you dare not step out of the circle or else you will die. And the truth is when you step out of the circle, you live. And that's, that's the leap of faith you were just talking yeah. about. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Alan. My honor. Please keep what you're doing. You're helping a lot of people. And it's my honor to get to know you and share my program with you, dear brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Now, if you would like to support Infants on Thrones, please come and join us on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per month, you can say thank you for the time that it takes to create this podcast, as well as access even more great content like this. I think there are maybe 72 episodes right now that are only available to Patreon subscribers, so come join us on Patreon today. And if you're interested in life coaching and would like to have a private, confidential, one-on-one conversation with me, Glenn Ostland, shoot me an email at infantsonthrones at gmail.com and we'll set up a free consult to see if coaching would be a good fit for you. Thank you again for listening to Infants on Thrones. Pretty bird, pretty bird. Hey, this is Billy and 4C from Rhode Island. Yes, that's right. The blind kid from Dumb and Dumber and now Dumb and Dumber 2. Yes, a pseudo-celebrity Mormon. Infants on Thrones has helped me come to grips with the tragedy that I've seen. Well, heard about at least, when learning that the thing that mattered most to me ended up being dead all along. I mean, Petey didn't even have a head. If you heart the show as much as I do, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Write a short review, and oh my heck, why not post about it on the social media? Unless you're still stuck in the Relief Society closet about your faith transition stuff, like I am. And always remember, I just... Thought he was real quiet. Anyone for the closing prayer? Oh my, the congregation in my mind is this assembly singing of gratitude, practicing their loving for you. Live high, live mighty, live righteously. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.